week, we started in talking about what it means to be part of the family. And I invite you to get the tape if you were not here. You have to attend two live sessions. So if you were not here last week, please get the tape and plan on being here uh, next week to complete the uh, uh, 101 course. Now, let me just talk real quickly about, again, let's restate the purpose of what this is. This is not to present a forum for debate on hard issues in the Bible. Even though that's kind of where we entered a little bit, too, into the territory last week, that's not what we're here to do. We're here to basically present the the uh, truths and the positions as it concerns this church and where we stand. And uh, we recognize that there's going to be some differing opinions. Praise the Lord for that. You know, we, we need to have that that type of interaction and so forth. It's healthy if it's done right. Right, Jim? Yeah. But we this isn't about debate. This isn't about trying to, uh, you know, find out who's right or who wrong, who's wrong in terms of their opinion on things. This is just to simply tell you where we're at. So guess what? We can become aligned or decide maybe we can't become aligned and then do, go somewhere else. That's the, that's really the intent and purpose of this 101 class. We want to be very forthright in terms of where we stand as leadership and 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 in the structure of the church on these issues. So <clears throat> that's the first thing. And the next thing is I want to I want to just very very quickly tell you that many of these points if you haven't figured it out by now are spiritual truths. They're not conjurings and results of man's wisdom or his ability to understand and figure things out through logic or reason or philosophy. And because of that, you don't discern spiritual truths by only your natural mind. You discern spiritual truths by your spirit. And they have to be discerned by your spirit working uh, with and the Holy Spirit working through your spirit to bring you understanding, to enlighten your mind and your understanding to these spiritual truths. So if you limit your pursuit of the truths to only your natural reasoning and reasoning and philosophy or your philosophical approach, I want you to hear this very clearly. You will severely limit your personal revelation and even risk error, even risk error and divisive positions against the very truth you're trying to understand. I want to say that again. If you approach the the word of God through only the limit of your understanding, your philosophy, your analytical ability and the logic that God has, yes, given you to use. But if that is the only depth of your ability in the word of God, you are going to be sorely limited in the revelatory experience you're going to have because they're spiritual truths. And the correct course for understanding spiritual truths is this. Pursuit of the word by your spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, which then illuminates or who then illuminates your mind. The Bible says that the spirit of man is a candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. The spirit of the Lord is, or the spirit of you is your flashlight. If you want your illumination, your mind to be illuminated, On a spiritual truth, you're going to have to access that spiritual truth first with your spirit by the aid of the Holy Spirit, who then brings understanding and light to your mind. That's the process of delving in and and discerning these spiritual truths, not to approach them singularly with your mind, logic, reasoning, philosophy, all the above as it pertains to the context of only the human mind. Okay, so that's the correct course. So in the end, though... We only know in part, right? We prophesy in part. We teach in part. 
But the great thing is we got a lot of parts here and we get them together and we have a good whole. Y'all see that? We've got, we only know in part. Folks, I only know in part. Jim, you only know in part. You know, I can point the finger everywhere around here. We only know in part. One day we'll know as we're known and we'll know fully. But right now we don't. But we, we, it doesn't keep us from pursuing though knowledge, you know, by first, you know, with your spirit and receiving that illumination and understanding that the Holy Ghost brings through your spirit to your mind. Okay. And then, um, I'm going to say this too. You know, I'm just going to say there are just plain old things out there that just may not be meant necessarily for us to understand. I'm sorry about that. If you don't agree with it, that's fine. I just think, you know what, there's just some good old because I told you so's in the Bible. Because when I grew up, my mom and dad didn't explain to me every single thing they asked me to do and give me good re- line of reasoning. A lot of times it was raise the belt and say, because I told you so. Now, I'm not trying to paint that image with respect to our Father God, because we got enough of that in religious circles as it is. We don't need that kind of a... But you all know what I'm saying. And they didn't necessarily raise the bell all the time, but I did get that if, if I didn't accept their line of, I told you so, if that wasn't enough for me sometimes. But you know what? I feel like the Father God's no different. I think sometimes it's son, daughter, because I told you so. Can you just accept that by faith and move on? Y'all see that? <clears throat> okay. Okay, so, and let me give you a scriptural basis for what I just gave you. I think it's important to have some scriptural basis for this stuff. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a thing be confirmed. 1 Corinthians 2.14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Does that sound familiar? Is that what I just got through saying? That's scripture for it right there. And if you want to say to yourself, well, Greg, he's talking about someone that doesn't have the Spirit of God there. Yes, and guess what? Your mind doesn't have the Spirit of God all the time either. To the degree it's not connected to your Spirit. To the degree it's not renewed by the way of the Spirit. So it's without the Spirit of God. And if you're going to rely solely upon that and don't get connected where the Holy Ghost lives, then you're going to have experiences without the Spirit there. And if you don't want to accept that as truth, then let me give you Scripture and verse for that too. Romans 8, 6 through 7. Now the mind of the flesh. Now this is the amplified version, so you might want to, you know, put your ear and uh, turn them down a little bit because it's going to be loud. It says the mind of the flesh. Now listen to what it says. Which is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit. I love that. It's not just the mind that is possessed with sin. It's about the mind that is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit. That simply states what natural reasoning and natural, natural mind can be is a position of sense and reason without the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you all, but I don't want to be without the Holy Spirit. All, all parts of me. I don't want to be without him. But guess what? There are parts of me that are without him if I don't have them submitted to him. So that's it. That lets you know right there that your mind can be without the Holy Spirit. It's sense and reason without the Holy Spirit. And it says that mind is death. Death that comprises all the miseries arising from sin both here and thereafter. But the mind of the Holy Spirit is life and peace, both now and forevermore. So that shows you that your mind, you can have a part of your mind or all of your mind, not without the Holy Spirit, but with the Holy Spirit. And that mind is peace. That mind is life. 
That mind is not a, a mind that's vexed with anxiety, cares, and concerns. That is a mind that is with peace. That's what it says right here in Scripture. All right, praise the Lord. Let's move on now. Well, let me, let me finish that scripture. Now. It says, because the mind of the flesh, that is that mind without, with sense and reason, without the Holy Spirit, it says with its carnal thoughts and purposes, it's even hostile to God. And I like the trans, the original translation where it says that the natural mind is enmity against God. That means, folks, if you want to do, to allow, allow the limit of your experience, if you want to limit your experience in terms of the scope of your application to the Word of God or experience with God to only what your natural mind is going to bring you, I will guarantee you at some point in time, it will not only limit your ability, it will divide you against God. That's what this scripture says right here. The natural mind, that is the mind, the sense and reasoning without the Holy Spirit, is enmity. Enmity means to absolutely... Uh, fly in the face of you, you loathe that. You hate it. When, if you're enmity and you'll be divided against, it will divide you against God. So don't, don't rely on natural reason. Yes, it's wonderful. Logic is wonderful. The ability to educate yourself and to acquire knowledge, wonderful. Don't let that be the limit of your experience with the spiritual truths. It can't be. Because you'll get in error. You'll, you will be very limited in what you get out of all this. Okay, so let's move on. It's like the smoking the bandit. We got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Y'all remember that show? <laughs> okay, it wasn't a very uplifting show. I remember that. Okay, so we're talking about our foundation right now. And we've got, we do have a lot of points to cover here. And I, again, this is not intended to be an exhaustive uh, you know, iteration and explanation of why we stand where we are. It's just a declaration of where we're at on these things. And that's just the way it is. Okay. That's where we're at. That's all we're doing here. The purpose of it. We talked about God. I'm get the tape from last week. I'm not going to go into that, that, but uh, the one thing I will say is that's a non-negotiable. There is but one God. It's the God of the Bible. It's the God who inspired the word that we read. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the God of Jesus, and it's my God. And I believe everyone sitting out here, it's your God, too. He's your God. He is it, folks. There is no other name under heaven, above heaven, or anywhere else that he'll be called. He's not called Allah. He's not called any other thing you can think of, Mustafa and whatever other kind of names for God you can come up with. It's not him. It's Jehovah God, and I said it last week, and it was a wonderful song that was brought forth on Sunday. It's the great I am. That's who we're talking about. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's who we're talking about. There is no God but him. That is it, folks. It stops right there. And his Christ, the only begotten. And if, if anybody out there wants to say anything to the contrary, you just give them this one litmus test. Is Jesus the way to your God? And if it is not, if he is not, forget it. It's over right there. You ain't talking about the same God I'm talking about. Okay, so now we, start, we set up for the Trinity. You all remember that? So we're going to talk just a little bit about that. Again, spiritual truth here has to be palped or understood or, or discerned by your spirit first in conjunction with the Holy Spirit to bring illumination to your mind. This is a tough concept from a mental perspective. And let me just set it up this way, simply because God doesn't exist and is not limited to our, the dimensions that we exist in. 
And so if I, I can, I can, can, can point you to people whose brains are a lot bigger than mine, who, who, who know so much about math that they literally speak math as a language. And they can explain everything that happens from the way you sit in that chair and how the forces can hold you up to how lightning can crackle through the sky and the probability of where it might, where a tornado might strike. I don't have the mind and the mathematical ability and understanding to do those things, but there are people that do. And there are people that go even higher than that in terms of astrophysics. And they can talk about things like theory of relativity, which was a God-given revelation. I don't care what you want to say about Albert Einstein. It was a point in time, the Holy Ghost, destined for that man to bring forth that revelation. He gave him that understanding and grace, as far as my, my opinion of the matter is. For such a time as this, because guess what? From that point on, it started a whole other discipline of science, of hard science, that math can literally prove the existence of dimensionalities beyond what we know. And therefore, prove the context of, where, of the fact that another being could potentially live there. And guess who that other being is? We're talking about the great I am. Hallelujah. And his son, who's at his right hand right now, with him in, in that dimension. Spiritual dimension. Okay, so if you think about the Trinity, think about it from that perspective. It's the existence of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit outside of our three dimensions. And then all of a sudden, the limits that we see in terms of three occupying one are gone. Because now we've got a potential of limitless ability for, for God to be able to see from the beginning to the end. For God to be able to be in more than a thousand places at the same time. So on and so forth. Because guess what? He can penetrate our dimension, our just finite three dimensions with his infinite dimensions that surround it. And literally from that dimensionality created the, this little time space we we're living in okay Whew. god is three in one each fulfilling unique roles god as father son as sacrifice spirit as power all of whom are unified in his purpose love capital l agape first john four sixteen. god is a triune being tri means three un being one he is three in one it is like, and I like the way someone said it, it's not one plus one plus one equals three. It's one times one times one equals one. Because it's three distinct individuals, three distinct persons, all, com- all equally God comprising one person, one being. Okay? And guess what? We can see a microcosm or example of the Trinity and how we're created. Because in Genesis it talks about us being created in the image of God. And it said, let, the scripture says, let us, and so he refers to himself as plural right there. Let us, because the angels didn't create, it was God. So he has to be talking about himself and the three aspects of who he is. Let us create man in our image, after our likeness. So if he's three in one, guess what? We're triune too. We're three in one. We're spirit first. We have a soul. We live in a body. Okay, we're three in one. We're creating an image of our God. So we can understand a little bit about the Trinity by looking at how we're created as well. That was Genesis 126. God the Father is the first one we're going to talk about. He's the supreme authority of the Trinity from whom the will and purpose of the Godhead originates. The other members are submitted to and carry out his will. God is the El Supremo. He's El Jefe. He is the, the, the top of, of the Godhead. He is that which everything answers to, the Father. 
talking about. Okay, and I've got some scripture references there. Luke one thirty five, Matthew three seventeen, John fifteen one through two. I'm going to give you this at, when we get when we conclude with this study. So I'm just letting you know I've got scripture and verse to line those or to back these truths up. Okay, so <clears throat> I like what Malachi two ten says. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Talking about the Father God there. I taught not too long ago about the vine and the branches. And John 15, 1 through 2 talks about Jesus being the true vine. And, and, and that we're the branches, and, but the Father's the gardener. See, he just makes that distinction. And one thing I thought the Holy Spirit gave me, I thought was really awesome. I never really thought about this. But if you want to see, really, I think, just a, a wonderful distinction and model of a of true separation between the Father and Jesus, let's look at the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and and the interaction and dynamic there between him and the Father. And in particular, why don't we just focus in on the aspect of when the Father actually speaks audibly such that not just Jesus heard, but his disciples and the people around him heard. I'm talking about an audible voice like you're hearing mine right now, the Father God speaking. And if you stop and you think about here Jesus is, the living incarnate Son of God, one of three of the Godhead, down here on the earth in a physical vessel, And then he goes, the first one I thought of is the baptism of Jesus. He goes at that point in time, and you can see a picture of the Trinity played out right there in terms of the roles of the Trinity. Because not only does the Son go and submit himself unto the Father's will and become identified with that, then we see that the Father acknowledges his Son by saying, this is my Son. Y'all remember that? It says a voice came out from heaven. And then it says the Holy Ghost descends on him in the form of a dove. Right there is a picture of all three persons, very distinct in their operation and in their motives and what they do. Right there, just one of them. Well, here's another one. What about at the transfiguration of Jesus? You know, he goes up and he takes what? Peter, James, and John with him. And he goes up and he gets transfigured before them. And then what happens? Well, while Peter's jacking his jaw about how good it is to be there, duh, seeing your master absolutely transfigured and uniting with the spiritual realm. Because I got to tell you, when you get, when you are, are like Jesus and you, you transcend the dimensionalities of the physical realm, something's going to change. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus at that time. And they saw that change. And Peter had to say, oh, my goodness, Jesus, it's good for us to be here. And right about the minute he got the word here out, the Father God said, you know, this is my son in whom I will please. Hear him. Listen to what he has to say. So there that is. John 12, 28, at Jesus' request, the Father's name be glorified. He said, Lord, he said, Father, may your name be glorified. And it says that the Father, as he was talking to some Greeks there and some religious people, it says that the Father spoke out and said, I have glorified it and I'll glorify it again. And it said everybody heard around it, heard that that voice. Now, now. See right there, I'm just giving you three distinct examples of a wonderful model of the separation between the Father who's there in heaven uh, 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 and, and the distinction of that personality from Jesus who's down here submitting to that will and then that actually being uh, uh, brought forth in the natural the way it was in that their interaction for all to hear. Okay, let's move on. God the Son, Jesus. We don't need to spend a whole lot of time talking about our Master, do we? We talk about Him a lot. Everybody understands a lot about Jesus. He's the only begotten Son. Sin is the ultimate expression of the Father's love. Final sacrifice for sins. While completely God in his role as son, he's completely man. Being born of the flesh. Being born of, of a virgin birth. 
He lived a life in the flesh, subjected to all its temptations. I'm going to say without reservation, did Jesus have impure thoughts about women go through his mind? And a lot of times I get cross eyeballs when I say this. I'll say, yes, he did, because if he's my high priest, then he had to go through the same problems that I have to endure, right? He did. And so if I've gone through those temptations, then Jesus would have had to walk through those too. Now, he didn't, he, he, he endured the temptation, but he was without sin. See, it didn't conceive to sin. So listen to what that scripture says. Okay, he died a complete death. He died not only physically, he died also spiritually. Why? Because he was separated from the Father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's when the separation took place. That had never happened before. You want to know why the literal earth's creation almost came apart at the seams? Because for the first time in all of eternity, a part of the Godhead was ripped apart. He was denying himself. I I, I just have a a small glimpse of that, and it it just makes me want to implode almost. Uh, uh, It's just amazing, the love there. Raised from the grave, ascended to heaven, return, will return again to gather his home. He is our high priest even now and our advocate before the Father God, ever living to make intercession for us. That's Jesus. That's our precious Savior, our precious Lord. And I've got some scripture verses to talk about that, but I'm going to move on. God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the manifest presence of the life and power of God. And when Jesus said, I've got to go, fellas, because once I go, I'm going to release the, the Father's going to send the Holy Spirit. And until I go, he won't release him. And that way you can live like I did in the same power. And so the Holy Spirit, the manifest presence of the life and power of God, he's the person of the Godhead who was sent to the earth to guide the believer into truth and knowledge and fill him with the power of God to be a witness. That's Acts 1.8. He comes to live in the believer upon salvation. And I love what CJ says. You don't get a half pint Holy Spirit when you get saved. You get every bit of the Holy Spirit when you get saved. You get the same spirit that everyone else gets whenever you get saved. And you truly become recreated, born again. He comes to live inside of us. Okay. Bottom line is the concept of the Trinity, not negotiable. Next topic. Bible. I mean, there are aspects of the Trinity we don't understand that can be negotiable, but the concept of the fact that God is three in one, equal parts, equal God, that's not negotiable. Bible, the Holy Bible is the next concept, is the inspired living word of God. It's written to us by human authors under the inspiration and direction of the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't just their own inspiration, their own thinking, hmm, this seems like a thing I should do, you know, and I'm just going to do this from a mental perspective. No, no, it was by the Holy Spirit, driven by the Holy Spirit, blown along by the Holy Spirit. It is the infallible, inerrant, and absolute truth from which all Christian beliefs are to be founded and everything is to be compared back to. Is there absolute truth? Yes, there is. And if you want to know where to find the absolute truth, right here it is. Well, I mean, not in the iPad, but in the Bible. I love my Bible, by the way, because I got all kinds of versions right here in the point of a button, click of a button. Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. Wow, there's something we can aspire to. And this is Paul talking to Timothy. You can be perfect. How? By the word of God. By saving your soul, by becoming, you know, having your mind illuminated by the word of God, by the Holy Ghost. 
Okay, and furnished unto every good work. The word uh, there, uh, God breathe, or the word that says uh, inspiration of God, it's theopneustos. It means literally God breathed. He breathed through these men, this word. And and did you know that the Bible is translated in more languages than anything? The closest thing that I found from a reference standpoint is Shakespeare. It's a little bit over 50 languages. The Bible translated well over 2,000 languages. Doesn't even come, Shakespeare doesn't even come close. To, to how far it's been translated. You think there's some significance to that? Translated in many languages. Many translations. Look at them, folks. Don't limit yourself to the experience of one translation. There are some wonderful translations out there. I mean, I happen to quote a lot of times out of NIV, but lately I've been home in Christian Standard Bible. It's wonderful. I haven't found a thing wrong with it yet. So far. Um, I'm not telling you that translations are perfect. They're not perfect. That's why it's important to look at several translations. You know, okay, that's what this one says. Maybe I can get more light if I read this translation. All the time listening to your spirit, what is your spirit telling you? If your spirit's going, eh, then, you know, spit the stubble out, eat the hay. You know, that's what we're after. Eat the hay, spit out the stubble. And listen, 2 Peter 1.20, if you don't have enough proof with respect to the inspiration of the the word of God, knowing first that no prophecy or scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, that's what it's got through saying, but by the holy, but, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And if you look at the Greek translation of where that comes from, moved by the Holy Ghost, it implies wind moving a leaf along. You ever seen a leaf moved along by the wind? That's exactly what happened here. I think it's a wonderful uh, uh, picture of how how men were led and inspired to write the Word of God. That you know, write the letters and the things that eventually became canonized in the scriptures that we call the Word of God that we all believe and know and love. And that was by the literally the wind of God blowing these men along in inspiration, like a leaf under the power of the wind is blown. Praise God! That's cool picture. Okay, number four, salvation. Salvation, oh, uh, the Bible, non-negotiable. Salvation is the result. Let's move to salvation. We talked a little bit about this last week and got into a little bit of discourse and, and deliberation about one aspect of it. Salvation is the result of faith's action on the Word of God. It is a threefold experience. It's not onefold. It's threefold experience. You can have salvation and are destined to have salvation on every level of your triune being, starting first with your spirit, then your soul, then your body eventually when Jesus cracks the sky and we're redeemed and given and, and, and made, you know, and, uh, the corruptible, the incorruptible or corruptible takes on incorruptible. It's a, so spiritual salvation occurs once and for all when one responds to the conviction of the Holy Spirit being drawn by the Father through the Holy Spirit regarding the message of the cross and accepts Jesus as their Savior and confesses Him as Lord. And at that point in time, 2 Corinthians 5.17, they are made a new creature, a new species. I brought that out last week. Soul salvation. So spirit is what, what happens. When you get saved, it's your spirit that gets saved. Not your soul. That's how come someone can have a wonderful born-again experience and then, and within an hour they're cussing like a sailor. Why? Because their soul's not saved. My goodness. Let's don't look down at the nose from a religious perspective and say, oh, my goodness, you know, they didn't have a true salvation experience. Well, no. They're going to have to have the salvation that's inside of them work outward, the inward work outward. God's not about taking the outward and cleaning that and going to the inward. He's talking about taking the core of who you are first, transforming that, and then letting the inward work, the law of the Lord being written upon the heart and the mind, work outward to transform who you are. 
Boy, religion, you can always tell it's religion because it's outgoing in. Always. Well, you just didn't work hard enough. Well, you haven't witnessed enough. Well, you haven't tithed enough. Well, you haven't, you haven't, you haven't, you haven't. That's the outward, the outward, the outward, the outward working a process to the inward. And that's not God's kingdom. Uh, Bodily salvation occurs when Jesus returns and death is finally defeated. This is salvation is not negotiable. Number five, eternity. We're clipping right through here. Eternity is another issue we want to talk about. Created in the likeness of God, man is an eternal being. I'm sorry, but you're going to live forever. Good, bad, or ugly. But here's the wonderful part of it and the good that it can be that your eternal being's final destination is determined by the choice for or against Christ during your physical life. Just talked about that, salvation. Because of sin, all people experience separation from God. That's spiritual death. And then that becomes irrevocable upon physical death. And then at that point in time, it's called second death, whenever the judgment takes place and you're eternally separated from God. That's second death. People who choose Jesus and are spiritually reborn are forever reunited with God. This spiritual salvation will live eternally with him. Those who reject Jesus will live eternally separated from God. I don't know about you, but I do not want to be eternally separated from God, and I will not be. As long as I have something to do about it, and you all have something to do about it for your life. Bottom line here, there's some several scriptures to talk about, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna leave those for your uh, future, um, um, review. So, uh, eternity, not negotiable. Water baptism, all believers, and this is something that can, that has separated a lot of denominations. My goodness, it's amazing what man's mind will do if he just, the vanity of it. All believers are meant to physically testify of their spiritual rebirth, through physical immersion in water. That's what water baptism means, simply. And it's not essential for salvation, though. Water baptism is not, by Scripture, as far as the leadership here is concerned, we don't see in Scripture that water baptism is requisite for your spirit to be born again. Okay? Now, it's not something you want to just shirk, either. I mean, you want to, guess what? Testify before men and the God of an inward experience that you have had working its way to the outward, like we just talked about. Testifying of your identification with Christ. Okay, that's what this whole thing is about. And what it means, it's demonstration, it's identification of oneself to, to oneself and others that he or she has died to their old life apart from God and has now emerged a new life, a new creature in Christ, united with him. And, you know, the scripture that you hear many times, Romans 6, 4, Therefore we were buried with him to baptism and death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. I like that translation. Very good. And here's something about baptism. Man, we make so much out of this still, but here's really what it gets down to. If you look at the Greek as it pertains to baptism in a lot of places, it really simply means this, identification. Identification. It's our identification with something, whether turning to God's way, that's John's baptism, uh, our death to old nature and raising to new life, that's Christian baptism that we just talked about. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, guess what? That's just identification with the power of the Holy Ghost inside of you. 
It's not this experience that you're going, oh, it's a whole separate experience that I have to have. No, I, I truly believe, well, no, 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 let me not step ahead. Let me, let me not step ahead here. Because I'm going to talk about Holy Ghost baptism in just a minute. So the concept of water baptism is a, te- is a testimony. It's a testimony of identification with Christ and the Holy Spirit the concept of baptism and the testimony of identification with Christ and the Holy Spirit is clear, and that part's not negotiable. You know, the concept of baptism. Now, the fact that baptism is not requisite for salvation and all this kind of stuff, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the concept of baptism and why we, why we do it here. We do it to express a testimony of identification that we have been buried with baptism in Christ's death, raised together with him in newness of life. Just like the scripture says, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Number seven. Man, we're marching right through. Um, oh man, I think I'm going to get through this. Praise the Lord. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. So representing Jesus' work to mankind, the Good Samaritan parable. Luke 10, 30 through 35. I invite you to go look at it sometime. If you look at that parable, really, so much has been made of that parable from a perspective of, na- of, of us being good to our neighbor, those that are around us. And that's a wonderful truth in there. I believe uh, from a teaching that I heard a long time ago, and it just went off inside of me, and I cannot get it out every time I think about it, that it's really a testimony and a microcosm or model of Christ's redemptive work. Christ was the good Samaritan. We were the one that fell among thieves and were stripped of our raiment, were beaten and left half dead. The threefold curse of the law, poverty, sickness, spiritual death. Threefold curse of the law. Half dead means that you're spiritually dead, but you're physically still alive. So I feel like, and I agreed with it, I thought it was wonderful this is my personal opinion that I believe that, that good, the parable of the Good Samaritan is a model of Christ's redemptive work. And if you notice that when the Good Samaritan came, he poured in not one element. He poured in two elements. He poured in, first of all, oil and then wine. And and so to me and to what I heard from this teaching and what seems right in my my heart as I continue to go through this and ask the Holy Spirit to give me light to me, it's a very clear representation of the twofold work of the Holy Spirit upon salvation, that the oil represents the work of the Holy Spirit in terms of salvation. The wine represents your identification and infilling with his power. Two distinct things that are poured into our lives. And notice they're both poured together at the same time. I don't believe, my personal opinion, that the whole concept of baptism of the Holy Spirit is supposed to be this thing that's so distinctly separated from the salvation experience. I believe that it's all one, it should be right there together. Yes, they're distinct things that happen. But I believe that when someone gets saved, they should be identified with the power they're in. Y'all believe that? Y'all see that? Does that make sense? It does to me. Okay, so, and there's several scriptures here. I'm not going to go through, but here's the deal. Because of ignorance or unbelief, many people choose only to receive the oil or the salvation and don't accept the wine or the infilling of power. The book of Acts clearly marks the beginning of the Holy Spirit's work in both salvation and infilling with power, both of which continue today for all who believe. The Bible is clear that speaking in an unknown tongue is the primary evidence of the infilling of the power at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's very clear in Scripture. 
And that's what we believe here. And you see evident a lot of times in our services. All believers are meant to be baptized, not just some of them, all of them. You were supposed to get the oil and the wine. All believers are meant to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, being filled with his power for life and testimony, for life and witness. A lot of scriptures to back that up. Now, the fact that the truth that identification with the Holy Spirit and the Acts 1-8 power resonant in each Christian, that's not negotiable from our position. Your identification, your potential for identification, the way the scripture lays it out, to identify with the power of the resonant Holy Spirit in you to be a witness, that's scriptural, not negotiable. Okay, the next concept, church. The church is the body of Christ, and we talked a lot about this in the lesson last week, so I'm going to skip over some of this in order to get through uh, the points tonight. It is a spiritual temple of living stones, not built of human hands, and the living stones are us, people. First Peter 2, 4 through 5. Every born-again child of God is a member of his church and is equipped to serve in a local body. A lot of scripture to back that up. And here we are with respect to some of these issues that CJ has alluded to. The, the leadership maintains that both men and women are called and equipped to serve in the various facets of ministry. There you go. Do we believe men, women are called to serve in the ministry? Yes. Do we believe they're equipped? Do we believe they're supplied? Do we believe they're grace to serve in the ministry? Yes. Regarding church governance, now we're going to talk about the government of the church. NCF is led by a senior pastor responsible to a council of elders who collectively advise and oversee all church business. So there's your, there's your, your statement of governments, governance. We have an executive leadership team comprised of five men, including three elders on that executive leadership team, the elders I just spoke about, whose main focus is not necessarily the business, but the spiritual and ministry support of the church. Not to say the elders, that the elders don't do that, but that's really the sum total of our responsibility from an ELT perspective. So you hear about ELT, that's what I'm talking about. So inclusion, though, in either of these leadership bodies is first by general impression of the Holy Spirit to the existing members. Okay, with a group decision following a season of prayer and consideration. So it's not taken lightly who is a part or comprises the church governance in terms of uh, the leadership elders, elders leadership body or the ELT or any ministry position for that matter. We go with uh, our inclination by the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit is leading us. And then potential elders for the first um, uh, the the um, pervading governing body of the church are then submitted before the body after or for a season of prayer and consideration before inclusion we saw that i think most recently evidence with cornell is that right your most recent uh person appointee to the elder okay concept of church not negotiable are you getting a the theme here Okay, communion. We don't have a whole lot of time here. Again, I'm not, we're not trying to give an expository of all things on these topics. Just present and ask, you know, uh, the core aspect. Communion is an act of worship and expression of our beliefs and righteousness under the new covenant of Jesus Christ, our high priest. All believers, you know, are encouraged to receive Communion freely. In other words, the only requisite there is that you believe in it. You believe in what it represents. 
Do y'all see? And you're identifying with that, with that covenant. So you're encouraged to receive it freely and, and, pers- and, and personally as we express together as a corporate body our remembrance and confession of Jesus as heaven's Passover lamb. That's what communion is all about. And everything won through his sacrifice. So it's not just the, the recognition of Jesus as Lord, but all the things that come with the covenant that he wrought for us. Um, so things like forgiveness, things like healing, things like peace, things like, you know, our needs being met. But, you know, to avoid things becoming ritualistic, you know, to avoid the potential for for apathy on something that to me is so precious and to all of us are so precious in terms of what communion represents. We corporately partake of communion, not often and not on exact schedules, but several times per year. That's the reason for it. I mean, all of us are kind of in agreement with respect to the fact that we don't want to wear it out. Now, for me personally, I can't wear it out. Now, that's me personally. I've gone through periods and seasons in my life where I took communion every single day. And, 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 and here's the thing, you know, the concept of communion in terms of what it represents, you know, and so forth, that's not negotiable. But what is negotiable is maybe the frequency and the manner that you take it. Do you know what? You don't have to always use grape juice. I've used Coca-Cola. I've used milk. I've used water. I've used tortillas. I've used saltine crackers. I've used pieces of bread. I think I did communion one time with a piece of beef jerky and bottled water. Do y'all see what I'm saying? That part is is negotiable. It's not about the physical elements. It's about what they represent. The power is not in the physical elements. It's in the representation of what those elements are doing and your faith in that. That's what it's about. Okay. Spiritual gifts. My goodness, man, we blitzed through some 10 items. Well, we did God uh, last week. That was number one. The Bible is clear that the Holy Spirit equips Christians with gifts to accomplish the work of God. And these gifts are diverse in type and expression. You know, people are born with some of these gifts. And they're meant to function throughout their lives. It's an innate grace that that God puts upon people. And I'm sorry if you didn't get a grace that you like. Guess what? That's too bad. God gave it to you. He gave you what you got. He gave that person what they got. And that's what he wanted. It's not because of your will or your desire. It's because of his will and his desire that we have what we have. So you know what? We need to be like I said last week. Don't be like that pot sitting on the the, uh, potter's wheel saying, what have you made? You can't be like that because the father made you the way he wanted to make you. Man, take solace, take take appreciation and take a, a position of, oh, God, you saw fit to make me what I am, to equip me how I am equipped. And then endeavor to discover those gifts. That's the most important thing in this process of the spiritual gift. Endeavor to discover what it is you're gifted to do. Here's a secret. It might have something to do with what you're motivated to do all the time. Here's a secret. It might have something to do with what you like to do all the time. You know, we make such a hard thing out of these th- these concepts. You know, there's a reason why you like to do and are motivated to do something all the time. Oh, you just get such pleasure out of certain things. 
And I'm not talking about sitting down and watching TV and that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the things that you produce. I'm talking about your, your, the things that come through you as a result of talent or motivation. That's what I'm talking about. And you know what? The things that God, because that's, God put that in you. My goodness, develop that. Put a focus on that. Submitted to God. Submitted to God. Two minutes here. Well, actually, no, it's a minute over. That clock is behind. Okay, so people are born with some gifts which are meant to function throughout their lives, and there are several scriptures for that. Other gifts occur, though, at designated times for designated purposes in accordance with God's will. These are the nine gifts of the Spirit. They're the latter manifestations outlined in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We believe in the freedom of the Spirit here at NCF and the Spirit's leadership. And his manifestation of these gifts as the Father's wills and allow, and we want to endeavor, right, Pastor CJ, to allow the Holy Spirit to have, to bring that through people, right? We do. We endeavor. We want the spiritual gifts to manifest according to the Father's will. And we encourage people to seek to be used in the gifts. Paul says that, particularly to prophesy and develop themselves as God wills their expression. First uh, Peter 4, 10 through 11. Listen, and this is what Pastor talked about on Sunday. Based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. All that you all have been gifted in, whatever it is, that's the variance of the grace of God in your life, in my, in my life, whatever. And if anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's word. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus and everything. That's the sum total of what we're using our gifts for. Use those gifts to the fullness of the grace God provides in life. Because it's what he gave you to begin with. Okay. So we'll stop there. And then we have one, two, three more topics to talk about. And then we'll talk about the ministries here at the church next week. And so now, at this point in time, we're going to open it up to questions. Again, our, our concern is not to have a forum for debate about Scripture. And here's the deal. We know in part, we prophesy in part, we teach in part. Everyone understands that we just have a part. And we will endeavor to answer the questions that you may have about the material we've covered for the past two weeks. So let's don't delve outside the material that we have covered. And that's kind of the mistake I think we made last week. I should have just shut it down when no one raised their hand for the first minute. Okay. Any questions about the material? All right. Caleb's got a question. Wait for the microphone, Caleb. In terms of spiritual gifts, um, let's, the only example I have is, um, let's say, for instance, I have a teaching gift, mm-hmm. and I know I have a teaching gift. When is it appropriate to use that gift? What's considered um, decently and in order? And how can I more effectively use that gift in the context of the leadership of the church, as in submitting that gift to the leadership? That's a great question. Let me ask you this. Do you have context to use that gift? You'd be more specific. As you sit here now and as you have served in the church, have you had context for that? Have you had opportunity? Yeah. Okay. I think you just answered your question. Because to me, again, this is just my position on it. The gifts make way for you, right? If they're submitted to God and you are, are pursuing God's will... In, in submission to the authority here at the church and in a, in the mode and operation that is godly. 
You don't have an agenda. The only agenda you have is God and what he wants to bring. Just like first Peter was talking about here, man, you know, faithfully administering the grace of God to the glory of Jesus and the father. I believe wholeheartedly. If you, if that is your position there, the, the door will open for that gift to be made. Okay. So if for I'm that at, gift to be brought forth, you see what I'm saying? You don't yeah. have to force the gift, but then at the same time, I'm, I think to me, you bear it out, Caleb. You, you teach the youth, do you not? Yeah. Have you counseled people, uh, one-on-one, uh, outside the walls of this church using that teaching gift? Has anointing moved through that? Has anointing moved through interactions, you know, in a teaching manner with other people in this church, whether you were in a counseling mode or not? That's, I, do you, I mean, is that, does that answer the question? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a pointed question. <laughs> It's a pointed question. Uh, it, it, it's like a general question. Um, I'm wondering, like, in the context of a service, for instance, and mm-hmm. that's that is oh. what I was asking. And this is just part two of that question. So, in the context of a service, let's say I have a prophetic word. Do mm-hmm. I just stand up in the middle of service? Okay, and just I see what you're start saying. Yelling it out. Okay, or... I misunderstood the question. It, that is is then for you to go to the pastor, CJ. And for you to, to tell him that you feel like the Lord's given you a word and then let, let him make a judgment on that or one of the senior leaders. Yeah, typically what we do is if someone has a word, they can come to me and share. I'll ask you generally, what do you feel like you're supposed to say? And then you tell me what it is. And then I determine whether I believe God wants you to release that or not. Uh, cause just because you feel like you have a word doesn't necessarily mean you do. Does that make sense? And, but rest in, if you feel like God is telling you to, to share something and you submit it to me, then if I don't give you that opportunity to share that, then that's between me and God. If I missed it, that's between me and him. You've done your part. Okay. So you can rest in that. And, uh, cause we do want things to be edifying. And sometimes people will come and share something <clears throat> and it bears witness with me that I believe it's in the flow of what the Holy Spirit's doing. And sometimes it may be, I just feel like that. No, it's not really in line with what I feel like the Holy Spirit's doing right now. And sometimes you may get excited about something. It could be the Lord is speaking that to you. Okay. So that's generally how we, exactly. we do that here. Yeah. And I'm sorry. I misunderstood what you're saying. You got me off on the rabbit trail when you said teaching, because I don't look at that as one of the spiritual gifts that oftentimes happen in a corporate setting in terms of someone getting something, going to pastor CJ and saying, Hey, I feel like I need to teach something right quick. Do, do y'all see what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that's not my, that's what you got me off when you said teaching. That's why I thought, oh, okay, he's talking about how a motivational gift, something that he's, that he's got inside of him all the time that he carries with him. Okay. Any other questions? I had a question. Um, you mentioned that the stance of New Covenant is that um, women can serve in ministry. So do you mean, um, how do you mean that? Do you mean serve as in, obviously women here do teach children's church. Do you mean preaching as well, teaching as well, preaching from the pulpit? And then what is your um, scriptural stance on whatever that is? Yes, to all the above. Because it's happened here. Has it not? Has it not? And, and I'll tell you what, I want to defer to one of the elders here and let them maybe brought, bring more. Steve, would you bring more light on that? 
Yeah, I think that, that uh, you know, obviously we've seen that. I, the issue, and, and we've talked about, is primarily is you, are you submitted to the leadership? And actually that goes for men too. <laughs> you know, that if you're going to be preaching in the service or doing different things in the service, are you um, submitted to the leadership? And so that's that's kind of the main point. So if somebody just comes in um, that we don't really know, then that would be questionable. But it would also be questionable for a man, too. So, you know, and that's that's the job of, of the leaders and the elders is to is to kind of filter that to protect the flock so you just don't let anybody come in and say anything they want to. That help? Did that answer your question? Okay. And I want to add, in case anybody's thinking about or wondering, um, we do not have women elders in in, church, in this church. This is one of those topics where uh, this is one of those varying topics that go from one extreme to another. And we as leadership even have varying opinions and, and view scripture differently in this in this context. So we had to come to a place where do we where can we land um, and work together? And we came to the where we landed as far as new covenant elders is that the women can serve in any capacity except be an authority uh, as far as, you know, pastor or eldership. But other than that, um, just like men, as long as they're submitted to the leadership, they can flow. Does that make sense? I mean, in a nutshell. Okay. Other questions? We still have four minutes. Arthur, did you, you had a question last week. Did you want to ask that question again? About church governance, wasn't it, Arthur? Hold on a second. So everybody can hear. Discussion with regard to membership. Correct me if I'm mistaken, but I think membership now rests in the elders, not in the body. That was legal in the bylaws. That was my question. Is that still the case? So, you're, yeah, maybe it's occurred before me. You're talking about uh, whether or not there is a statement or underpinning in the bylaws with respect to selecting elders. Mm-hmm. Here, I fellowship. Fellowship is different from membership. Okay, fellowship. <laughs> this is why I'm not an elder. <laughs> we got to get it on tape, Arthur. <laughs> The fellowship is different from membership. Did I make that point? I know what you're asking. Yeah. You know, he's asking about membership and in typical, you have membership and when you become a member, then that gives you a right to vote. You know, when you go to business meetings at churches and you, because you're a member, you can vote. We do not have that type of membership here. In our bylaws, it states that the voting members are the elders uh, of the church. The government we don't have, um, as Greg was mentioning, and when it comes to church governor, government, um, the church is led by a pastor submitted to and working with uh, the elders. And the elders make the decision as far as financial and, and church whatever, not kind of thing. So in other words, we don't have members that vote, okay, we're going to buy this piece of property or we're going to um, have this guy become an elder, consider this guy as an elder 
those in favor say aye. The nays, we don't, we don't do that because one, we don't believe that's scriptural. Uh, when you look at the governor in, in New Testament and Acts, how they led the church, it wasn't voting. It was the leaders that were appointed by the apostles, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I know I'm saying this fast to give you the shortened version. Um, now, when we talk about membership, one thing, um, matter of fact, we're, we're kind of having discussion as far as because people want to know, well, how can I join this church? How can I become a member? And in other words, uh, be a committed person belonging to this fellowship. And that's the type of membership that that we're we're considering and and seeing how we can do that. But as far as we do not have voting members, does that make sense? Am I clarifying? Okay. So does that answer your question, Arthur? Okay. Is there anything else I can explain to to clarify? Or maybe if you want to ask me or something, we can talk about that. I'd... <laughs> And I'm trying, and I'm trying to remember too. Uh, I think it was expressed that, with regard to legal aspects, that we're not be membership church. So, if, so if I'm an atheist and I came up to him and said, "Why do you not have atheists working in your kitchen?" or something like that. Remember? Wow. <laughs> it was legalities, and so the, I got perhaps caught up on with the word legal. And I, we must have it on tape. Steve was there. The other Steve was there. And I think he said a lawyer sat down with you and crafted the, the, the format for this. And we had a, a healthy discussion. We had two dissenters. I was one. That preceded my <laughs> membership. Yeah. <laughs> I don't so it was, it, it was legal. It was legal aspects. You remember in the... In the other room. <laughs> Maybe we need to get bumper stickers. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just comp- I'm capitulating something Lisa said. <laughs> Okay, just following the question on elders, I want to know how do the actual elders become elders? I'll let an elder talk about that. First, you have to start growing a beard. (laughs) Just kidding. kidding. In a nutshell, how we choose elders is um, one of the elders or the pastor, if they believe the Lord is highlighting a, a certain brother, and they, he brings that to the elders and says, brothers, I believe that the Lord wants us to consider so-and-so. And then the elders, we pray about it. We, we pray individually and, um, and we come back together and we talk about it. And if we feel like we all have a witness to move forward, um, then I believe we, I think we talk to the person. Is that the next step or the, or the congregation? That's right. Then we talk to the person. And to have them consider. Hold on. Let me ask Pastor Dale to share this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Did it a few times. Yeah. Uh, we want to cover all the bases because we want to get the mind of God and we want to, and it's important to not only have the, a man, uh, sure, but also his wife. 
but we ask, we present it to the uh, person, uh, the man that we're considering, and we ask him to go home and talk to his wife and pray about it and see how they feel about taking on this responsibility as they pray about it. And then we usually call them in and talk to them together. And so that we're all agreement in what God's doing. And if everyone is in agreement, then we uh, present it to the church. And when we put it to the church, we present it to uh, in a Sunday morning service telling everyone, this is what we sense God is doing. And if you have any comments you'd like to make, we'll, we're, we're not going to do anything for a month. That's usually what we say, a month. If you have something you want to share, you find, in other words, if this man has secretly robbed a bank and we don't know about it, something like that, you know, something, <laughs> in other words, if there's something you want, you want to share pro Aricon about the individual, feel free to do that to the elders. Because we want to flow in unity, not only among the elders, but in the church. It's always working toward relationship, good relationship. And if that uh, comes out in a positive way, well, then we take a Sunday morning and lay hands on the person and his wife together and pray for them and commit them to God and in that office they've been called to. Okay. They begin to function in that capacity. And I would say just uh, when we consider a, a person, we look at First uh, Timothy 3, and uh, Titus 1, you know, the qualifications for an elder is, of course, we would take that in consideration. Okay, we're at our time limit, unless there's just a hot burning question. Okay, we have one hot burning question, and then that'll be it. Uh, this is to Arthur. Uh, I'm not understanding what you're trying to ask, though, about an atheist being working in the kitchen. I, I, Yeah, but I, the whole purpose of holding this class and meeting is to just being in one belief. And I, I don't know how would I feel. I mean, only the people that, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you, you have to be with that one sink, believe in one God and Jesus Christ. And so I don't know. If, I'm vaguely remembering when we had the conversation, which you're talking about in a, in a meeting in the past, I can't remember the particulars. Um. <laughs> right, but what what I was going to say is is um, when I can talk to you, so we can because it's not like we're not trying to answer the question, but it's trying to to understand what you're asking and to be able to answer that. Because I do remember there was some changes years ago. We changed the bylaws. We're making some changes in the bylaws. 
And that's what I came up. But I'm not remembering the particulars of, of all that, that period, but I'm sure we can be reminded, you know, as we, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all been recorded and everything. It's just, it's been a while since I've looked at all, but as far as membership's concerned, from what I understand, we just don't have, cause we've talked about membership and we've been talking about that more, but is, but the one thing is we don't have voting members because a lot of people assume as a member, then that means I get to vote. And just the one thing we just want to make people, make sure people understand is that we do not have voting membership. Now, maybe there's another term or, or something we can, we can talk about that. But, um, cause some people assume, well, when do I get to vote on this or that? And we just don't do that here. Um, which it, I understand you. It sounds to me like that you must've made a very distinct, a very strong distinction that it's not membership, it's fellowship, and that had some sort of a legal underpinning. It must have. Is that yeah. what you're saying, is that Arthur? What, does that sound right? Oh, I've never heard that. Watch care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, Steve's got some. I think I'm remembering part of this. No, no. Yeah, no, I, I understand. I, I think it's... What I remember is, is just a little bit different from the type of thing you're talking about. But there was a meeting where we said that because we got the bylaws out. Do you remember this, Dale? And they were like really old. The the wording on it was from back, I think maybe even from Gwen was here uh, a long, long time ago. And, and we were reading over the bylaws that we don't necessarily do every time. So, you know, kind of, and we noticed that it talks about voting members. And we said, we don't do that anymore. Uh, I don't know that we ever did. I, I mean, I was here most of the time. I don't think it was ever there. I think it was just some boilerplate bylaws that were set in place way back in the early 80s. And we said, okay, we need to change this. And so we did, which eliminated members voting. And that was what, what that was about. And uh, I think that's what we were talking about at the meeting because we never did that. We, we never operated that way. But I think you're, you're talking, so that eliminated what you would say a legal membership, you know, according to the bylaws that eliminated that. And we said, well, it's a fellowship, which is a, a group of people, believers in Christ, you know, coming together. And that's what it is. So there was no membership role, uh, well, actually, we never had one, but the bylaws said we did. See, and so we had to, we had to correct that. So, um, I I think it's 
it's a it's a spiritual membership and a, and a personal relationship commitment, you know, to the church that that makes that work. Now, the legal aspect of it, I probably can't comment on that. I don't know how you would say legally you're a member of the church. We just we don't have anything like that. You know, it's it's more of a spiritual membership. It's a choice and uh, a belief in Christ, and you're part of. You choose to fellowship uh, with this part of the body of Christ here, and so is that too nebulous? <laughs> I think that's. I mean, that's that's the way I see it. Okay. Well, I'm going to take teacher's prerogative and shut it down. Because it's we're we're over time here. Matter of fact, it's eight ten by my watch. So we kept you a few minutes later than we normally do. We have one more week next week. I hope this is edifying to people and not just a legalistic, you know, run through some things. That's not my certainly not my intention. I know it's not the elders and leadership's intention for it to be a whipping post by any stretch. Uh, it's very much uh, there should be life in this. There is life. Praise the Lord. We're talking about wonderful things here. So let's just close in prayer. Father, we're grateful for another opportunity to gather together. We're thankful that we are members of one another, Lord, in your body, the great body of Christ that is that is a global entity. Hallelujah. It's not just here in Stillwater, but it's, it, it is through the, the, the fullness, Father, of this dimension and all eternity, Lord. We're glad to be a part of it. And we're grateful for the Holy Spirit who leads us into truth. And we're asking you, Holy Spirit, to do that right now. Please, Holy Spirit, lead us into truth. Give us revelation. Give us understanding, Lord, where we don't understand about these matters, Lord. Help us. And we know you're faithful to do so, Lord. And we just thank you for your protection. We thank you for the covenant that we have with you, Father, through Jesus. And our right for protection and healing. And provision, O oh God, that comes through him. And most importantly, for our right of salvation, Father, through that covenant and relationship with you, Father. All glory and honor unto you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so you guys can't hold Greg accountable for us being late because it's on me now. But um, I just want to say, you know, things like this, sometimes when there's misunderstanding or seemingly conflict. See, I don't see this as conflict or negative conflict as long as we as we don't try to work through it or come to understand because sometimes what you're thinking on a topic may have a different meaning than what I'm assigning to that that same topic. And so it and that's why it's important to have these conversations so we can see, okay, what do you mean by this? Instead of me assuming, well he just means that, so forget all that. But to work through these situations, you know, these, these challenging things. And even on a smaller scale, when you have conflict with somebody, you work it out and work through it. And that's, that makes us grow and become stronger. Does that make sense? So, and if any of these topics that were brought up, if you, we didn't have time to go through all of it, but if you have a comment or question or a concern or whatever, please feel free to talk to, to myself or one of the elders because our desire is to, to communicate and make things as clear as we possibly can. Okie doke. Is that clear? All right. God bless you and have a good evening. See you Sunday.